Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. Hey, today I'm going to take a break from our Men of Peace podcast because there's something that's just fresh in my mind. I'm going to try to share my thoughts with you. Hopefully they'll be gracious and uh, it'll be easy for you to receive. But I am just going to uh, talk a little bit off the cuff about um, uh, one Bible verse that came to my mind this week and some of the concerns I had for why it came to my mind. Let's just start with the, with the verse itself. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, where Paul instructs the Ephesian church, the church at Ephesus, to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Paul seems concerned that the church, and I would agree with this concern, remain unified, not just for the sake of unity. The idea of uniformity is not what Paul is getting at. He's very direct in that this unity is in the Spirit, so we're to remain unified in the Spirit, and then also uh, bound together by peace. Um, This is really important to me. This is something that I value, and I think maybe God in his providence, actually I know God in his providence, and the fact that he has a way of stretching us, called, called me and placed me into a work Um, that's really surrounded by conflict. Whether you consider the actual work that we're doing, domestic abuse prevention will have within it an intervention aspects of conflict. And I think God has positioned me here to help teach me the centrality of peace, the importance of unity associated with peace. Now, I bring that up because uh, this verse came to my mind as I was listening to a friend do a presentation this week. Actually, two friends. Um, I thought the their willingness to, to talk about this subject was pretty courageous considering the amount of pushback they're, they're likely to get. Uh, and this kind of brings me to the, to the point. So let me, let me back up and try to explain to you uh, what happened in my own spirit, and we'll see whether it's valid. I, maybe it's not. Maybe I'm overreacting. But uh, this past week, at the time of this recording, I attended the Faith Biblical Counseling Training Conference. It's one of my favorite events of the year. Uh, Faith Church in Lafayette has been conducting a biblical counseling training conference for over 40 years, uh, beginning with what they called the Missionary Conference, uh, where they trained folks in biblical care and counseling. Uh, it's obviously evolved over the years. Uh, this past week, at the time of this recording, this past week, there were nearly 2,200 people in attendance uh, at the Biblical Counseling Training Conference. It was packed in uh, three separate locations, uh, training over 2,000 people. And it's broken up into several tracks. There's uh, six standard tracks plus two or three more uh, in Spanish that are available to participants. And each year they have a variety of speakers. And so I've been speaking at this conference for several years. Uh, usually in tracks two, three, and four, which are more of the progressive or advanced tracks of uh, counselors who are already been trained in the the foundations of biblical counseling. And I'm usually training on the area of domestic violence and 
uh, domestic abuse. Usually just one session here and one session there because it's kind of a piecemeal approach. Uh, and then they have, uh, in addition, topic option nights on Wednesday where you can kind of choose whatever topic you want to learn about. And two plenaries. Uh, so there's a plenary on Tuesday and a plenary on Thursday. Uh, this year, they chose to <clears throat> focus their plenaries on uh, two areas of growth within Faith Church. I thought this was really, really wise because this particular church is looked up to in the biblical counseling movement and within a lot of conservative circles for the way they interact with their community, the way they do ministry, and certainly from a counseling perspective. And so on Tuesday night, uh, my friend Rob Green spoke on their church's evolution in the area of responding to divorce. Uh, I thought this was a fantastic presentation. I'm going to try to find it to, to add to the show notes. I don't know if I have access to it or not. Um, but I thought it was a fabulous presentation where Rob walked us through, kind of step by step, the ways in which the church leaders struggle through the question of divorce and how they wisely, I think, came to some conclusions they didn't come to before including how they're going to interact with uh, divorce and abuse, which is a topic that we would uh, find interesting. And then on Thursday night, Steve Byers, the senior pastor, uh, also a friend, spoke on the church's response to abuse. Now, I think this is still somewhat in its infancy, to be honest with you. But I, I think what is happening is this, this is my guess, so I don't want to put words in Steve's mouth. He gave us 12 points, 12 responses the church could have he mentioned briefly uh, the need for more literature and the possibility of some books. I actually think those 12 points are going to morph into chapters for a book. And so I think this is the beginning stages of thought <clears throat> for Steve and his team regarding their church's uh, response to abuse. Now, of course, he was using a blanket, a larger category of abuse that you know tried to encapsulate everything, sexual abuse, child abuse, elder abuse, spousal abuse in all its forms. Uh, but I thought Thursday as well was a well-done presentation. Now, why do I bring that up with Ephesians chapter 4? Because as I interacted, especially on Thursday night, I had um, listened to the Tuesday night presentation on my way to Lafayette, on my drive to Indiana. And then I was there in the, uh, I was in an overflow room watching via video uh, Steve's presentation on Thursday night. And uh, I also had um, the notes up in front of me on my computer, and I was making some notes. And as he was presenting, this verse came to mind, this idea of maintaining the unity of spirit with a bond of peace. And the reason why, and I find it troubling, and it, it actually is one of the reasons why I wanted to just talk about it a bit. Uh, I don't know if I'll come to a conclusion on this podcast, but I kind of wanted you guys to hear my my heart on this, as I'm hearing Steve talk, doing a good job, by the way, um, the verse comes to my mind because I'm anticipating and I'm, I'm even preparing. That, I mean, my, as I'm taking my notes, I'm preparing for the pushback. I'm preparing for the feedback. And here's the crazy thing, not from the biblical counseling world not from the conservative Christian world. I'm sure, I'm sure Steve and Rob are going to get their fair share of criticism uh, on that end. I rarely hear that anymore. Occasionally I hear that. Like sometimes I get, um, 
I get pushed back, but usually for something I said. I was preparing my heart for people in the work, for friends who are believers who are uh, attempting to provide safety and sanity and security for victims. Not because there, there was nothing, I mean, it, and I'm not trying to suggest there's nothing in those two presentations that are not worthy or deserving critique. There are. I'm happy to walk through critique on that. But I think what I was preparing for and why it troubled me so much was my heart was saying, okay, this isn't going to be good enough. This isn't going to be good enough. What complaints am I going to hear? And really, guys, I just had to pause for a second. I just got troubled in my spirit. And that's when this verse came to my mind. The unity of the spirit, the bond of peace. So I guess what I wanted to say was I I listened to these two men who I love walk through um, some processes that took them time and effort. um, And I would say some sacrifice because I do expect them to hear from certain circles, some negativity. Um, And I I really want to applaud them for that. I guess I just want to say, yep, they're not perfect. But boy, is it, are we a lot farther than when we started? Like I just, even reflecting back, I'm like five years ago, was the biblical counseling movement even discussing this outside of some of our small groups, like just a handful of us? And now I'm sitting in this room, and there's a church that I would call pretty significant in the biblical counseling movement, saying some things that people in their position haven't said before. And I was excited, and I want to get behind that, and I want to support that. Now, does that mean their presentations were perfect? Nope, they were not perfect. Um, I really appreciated Rob walking us through the step-by-step. I think that to me was um, to me that was the big win. I think if you go back and you listen to Rob Green talking about the church's progress uh, of divorce, to me that was the big win. The fact that they thoughtfully walk through this and not just having knee-jerk reactions are going to serve victims well. Will they serve victims perfectly? Probably not. Probably not. A church that size, th- there's probably going to be some victims who are going to come away um, feeling harmed or having fallen through the cracks or having not been served perfectly. But I think we have to commend the response. I thought Steve's presentation was good too. I think there's some areas where I would push back and and I'll just say a couple really quickly. Um, Steve is happy to, he and I can talk about this in private too. So this is not a public bashing. I probably would not have spent so much time on the membership point um, and probably would have given a little bit of a disclaimer on the membership section. But I don't I don't think, I think that will come, to be honest with you. I think Steve will hear some feedback from victims whose husbands were members of churches and they use that membership to control. That will you know, draw him to maintain his position. I think his position is good. And the position was church membership and actually valuing church membership will cut down on aspects of abuse. I think his point was valid. Um, but I would probably just have added a little caveat, which isn't that big of a deal. It's just something that needs to happen moving forward. The second is he loves to use this illustration of uh, taking the biggest deacon. It, it's it's a funny point. Like it makes the point and, and people giggle. 
but it really communicates bullying the bully. I mean, I've said this for years. It's not a valid argument. I think you're just reinforcing the worldview. You know, if I'm going to take the biggest deacons I have and scare this guy, then I'm really participating in the same work that he is, right? And you know, intimidating. And so I would probably um, exclude that little joke and focus a little bit more on maybe like Galatians six or something. But again, as much as I let me try to try to say, let me say this: as much as I don't like that you know, that um, we're going to take the biggest deacon, it didn't offend me. It, I'm not offended by it. I appreciate what Steve is saying. I might nuance it differently, but I'm not him and he's not me. And I guess that's what what I'm looking for and, and what I'm hoping to communicate today is the church is in many ways um, walk have been walking in the dark on this. And as more light has been shown, more people are making good steps, good attempts, um, good next steps in this work. I guess I've never been more encouraged than ever that this dream, this prayer, that the church will be the safest place on the planet can actually happen. But I think it's going to take all of us maintaining the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace to see this accomplished. I know there are plenty of things that could be said. Uh, There are plenty of ways in which um, I'm not up to snuff, as it were. Plenty of ways, plenty of reasons to to criticize Pastor Chris. I I haven't said this the right way, or I haven't done this the way that maybe somebody else did it. There's plenty of things that could be said about my friend Leslie Vernick, or Darby Strickland, or Julie Owens, or Joy Forrest, or all the wonderful people that are engaged in this work. Um, not there's not a perfect person in this work, and not a perfect intervention. There's never been a perfect intervention. Um, but I just, in many ways, want us to be thankful for what God is doing, and um, the the unity that can be present. So let me try to transition. I guess I, I say all of that to say I'm so thankful for the new voices that are enter, entering the work. And this work has a tendency to be siloed, meaning, you know, this group of people has this theological perspective, and this group of people has this practical perspective. And and for some reason, they have to oppose each other. And I just struggle with that, guys. I just, I just don't get it. I really do struggle. For instance, I'll give you the, the biggie, egalitarians and complementarians. I know there are differences between us. I really do. I'm not naive to that. I also know that um, those two terms are not static, that they exist on a spectrum. Um, and I will say this publicly. Obviously, this is a public forum. I will, I will gladly work with individuals with slightly different theological perspectives uh, for the safety of others and for the safety of victims and the accountability of perpetrators. There is nothing in me that that really believes that an egalitarian that loves Jesus Christ um, cannot do this work for some reason, or that a complementarian that loves Jesus Christ cannot do this work. I, I just don't think those theological issues divide us that much. Now, can they become the central issue and then become divisive? Absolutely. 
I mean, if your complementarity or egalitarity is more important than the gospel, then yeah, that can be a problem. But if they are an expression, if they're a um, subset of the gospel, if they if it flows, if your theology flows from the gospel, then there's tremendous benefit. There's there's something that we can work with. Now I'm going to you know be committed to <clears throat> those areas that I'm committed to. All right, so I'm going to continue to function in what some might call contextual complementarity or soft complementarity, whatever it is. I'm going to try to to hold high the standard that I see in Scripture, uh, but not at the expense of someone's safety, not at the expense of someone's <clears throat> excuse me, someone's accountability. Um, there are other things that could easily divide us. I remember sitting in a, a conference. I was actually speaking, and I was talking about my relationship with my good friend Abe. Uh, Abe is a pastor in the Nazarene Church, and we had done some work on, on a project together, and, and I, was, I was highlighting that. It was just a real brief in passing, right? And at the end of the presentation, the first question was, you know, how can you justify working with someone so theologically different than you? It was as if this individual had not heard the presentation had only heard that in passing, you know, Abe and I had done uh, a project together. Well, that project was salvific. It was redemptive. It wasn't, we weren't um, nuancing the particulars of our sanctification theology. We were trying to reach people for Jesus Christ. And I, I think that's true in this work as well. So it, it's going to be real easy. I think that's the easy thing. The easy thing is to say, well, this particular person doesn't believe exactly the same way I do, or this particular person is associated with this type of work, or they didn't dot all the I's I wanted them to dot. Um, and there's room for that. I mean, there's a place for those discussions, and I've had many, many, many of those discussions. But I think there's a greater space, and there, I, this is really the point. I think I'm going to be able to land the plane now, friends. There is a greater space for unity as Jesus has saved us, called us, equipped us with his spirit, and hopefully we are living in the fullness of his spirit to see victims safe and offenders accountable. And as I've said many times, this is an all-hands-on-deck type of work. We need the um, um, this tribe and that tribe and this tribe and that tribe. I may not be able to reach your particular tribe. Um, so we need your voice there. Uh, you may not be able to speak into my particular tribe for for whatever reason. Um, but I want to be faithful where God's placed me. So I want to celebrate today the things that he's doing in the church, uh, the ways in which people are pushing back against the darkness. Um, are they perfect? They never will be. Um, but is God glorified by them? I think so. I think so. And my prayer is that these silos of ministry, yeah, that doing good work individually, will be much more inclined to lock arms, to support each other where we can, to promote each other where we can. Um, again, I'll I'll quote you know Steve on this. Steve Viers he has a statement that he says you know when it comes to ministry. We're going to say yes 
unless we have to say no. And that's kind of my thought on, on this work. When it comes to supporting each other and promoting each other and loving each other, we're going to say yes unless we have to say no. I hope that made some sense today, guys. I so appreciate you and your willingness to journey with us. Um, this, this ministry, this podcast, the things that we do, PeaceWorks was birthed um, out of a, a need that we saw in the church, in particular within the conservative church. And um, we are just thrilled with the progress that's being made. We're not there yet, but I think um, with the help of uh, the Lord, um, the power of his spirit, the unity that his spirit brings, and the gospel of peace which binds us together, uh, we can see the church become a much safer place. And it's going to take all of us um, working together. All right. Thank you guys for tuning in. Until next time, God bless you all.